We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. go episode 625 of the Al Galdi podcast it is Thursday August 3rd 2023 it is the day of the first NFL game of the 2023 preseason yes there is an NFL preseason game on Thursday night I know it's the preseason not the regular season but still it's the NFL the Cleveland Browns versus the New York Jets at Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium in Canton, Ohio, Thursday night at 8, the annual Hall of Fame game. Uh, We are done with no NFL or college football. This week marks the start of there being at least one NFL or college football game every week for the rest of the year. Uh, The Browns' second game in this 2023 NFL preseason will be against, yeah, The Commanders. Uh, Commanders at the Browns Friday night, August 11th at 7.30 in the Commanders preseason opener. The Jacoby Brissett Revenge Game. (laughs) Hello and welcome to this Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Speaking of our guy Jacoby, uh, Commanders head coach Rod Rivera, uh, he in a pre-training camp practice press conference on Wednesday morning again brought up Jacoby Uh, When asked about the man with whom Jacoby, according to Ron, is competing for the commander's starting quarterback job, Sam Howell, even though the QB1 job certainly appears to be Sam's to lose. But more notably, Ron, in this press conference on Wednesday morning, gave us an update on how Sam is doing and how the commander's offense is doing in general. This ended up being about a 15 and a half minute presser for Ron. Uh, He had a lot to say about Sam and the offense, including some things that Sam needs to work on and on a key aspect of the team's offensive philosophy for this coming season. Next segment, I will play for you, react to, and discuss every notable thing that Ron Rivera on Wednesday morning said about Sam Howell and the commander's offense. Uh, The NFL is a passing offense league. We all know that. Uh, Rushing offense matters. Defense matters. But nothing matters as much as passing offense. It is imperative 
that Washington this coming season does passing offense better than the team uh, has done passing offense in each of the first three seasons with Rod Rivera as the team's head coach. Because if it doesn't, then this probably will be Ron's last season as the team's head coach. Also on the show, uh, I will talk Nationals off a wild Wednesday for them. Uh, First came a 3-2 walk-off win over the Milwaukee Brewers at Nationals Park on Wednesday afternoon as the Nats overcame a 2-1 ninth-inning deficit with a two-run bottom of the ninth uh, and got a strong performance from starting pitcher Mackenzie Gore. But then after the game, the Nats announced that they had optioned second baseman Luis Garcia to AAA Rochester and had requested unconditional release waivers on outfielder Corey Dickerson. Um, some big changes to the Nats' Major League roster. Uh, and I have an Orioles segment for you. Uh, they on Wednesday night lost uh, a 4-1 loss at the Toronto Blue Jays, despite a good outing from starting pitcher Grayson Rodriguez, a third consecutive good start from Gray Rod, who is looking better since being called back up to the majors. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Wendell Hicks on Ron Rivera and... Uh, analytics. Uh, We on Wednesday show, episode 624, had a 30-minute conversation with the GOAT of NFL analytics, uh, the great Warren Sharp of sharpfootballanalysis.com. Warren went in-depth on the Commanders. Uh, This was a 30-minute masterclass of Commanders analysis. Uh, Warren was awesome. Writes Wendell, I thank you for all that you do in making sports digestible for all of us with limited time to follow our teams. Uh, Thank you, Wendell. Continues Wendell. Uh, I had a thought on Ron Rivera's view on analytics versus what Mike Elias has mentioned. Rivera has talked about using analytics in the process of taking players like Emmanuel Forbes and Jahan Dodson. While analytics certainly can be useful in looking at those players, the real value would seem to come in looking at players like, say, Christian Holmes and Chris Paul and KJ Henry, players who do not have the obvious tape, but who do have qualities that can help your organization. This is what Mike Elias has done so well. He has found players high and low who have been major contributors and have set the Orioles up to be successful long-term. I hope that Ron just was confused, but it doesn't seem like he has a firm grasp (laughs) on analytics. Uh, Thank you for the email, Wendell. Uh, Yeah, you know, I do at times uh, get the sense from Ron Rivera when he's talking about analytics that he has a vague understanding of what he's talking about, uh, but not, shall we say, a strong understanding of what he's talking about. Uh, It's as if he knows the word analytics, and he has an idea of analytics, but if you ever asked him to truly explain some of the major principles of football analytics, he might have a hard time of doing that. You know, if you are a Seinfeld fan, uh, (laughs) this reminds me of when Kramer kept talking to Jerry about a write-off. And it became apparent that Kramer didn't truly know what a write-off is. (laughs) This was a great scene. One of many great scenes in the show. Uh, Here you go. You can't get a refund. Your warranty expired two years ago. (laughs) So we're going to make the post office pay for my new stereo now? It's a write-off for them. How is it a write-off? They just write it off. (laughs) Write it off what? Jerry, all these big companies, they write off everything. You don't even know what a write-off is. Do you? No, I don't. But they do. And they're the ones writing it off.
Yeah, so I get the sense from Ron Rivera about analytics, uh, like we did from Kramer, uh, about the write-off. Analytics, that means different things to different people. Analytics can help teams in all kinds of ways. Uh, To Wendell's point, one of the best things about Mike Elias' tenure as Orioles Executive Vice President and General Manager has been this pension for finding diamonds in the rough, for acquiring guys on the cheap, and then getting big-time production from those guys. Now, some of that may be luck, but you know, it's not all luck. The O's have gone all in on analytics. The team has become one of the smartest, uh, most forward-thinking teams in Major League Baseball, and the O's have become an organization very good at finding hidden value uh, and at maximizing player performance. And this is so what I want with the commanders and analytics in the NFL can help. Uh, in many other ways, too, you know, in-game strategy, salary cap management. Uh, speaking of Mike Elias, email from Ted, writes Ted, uh, only an analytics freak could come up with this word. Mike Elias last Friday afternoon said, quote, everything we do, we look at sort of probabilistically because we don't know, end quote. Probabilistically? Thank you for the email, Ted. Uh, yes, probabilistically. Uh, That is the language of a guy like Mike Elias. And, you know, that is a lot of what analytics are about. Probabilities. Uh, You are playing odds. Nothing works 100% of the time. What you're trying to do is make good decisions because while a good decision doesn't guarantee a good result, making a lot of good decisions over time should lead to good results. Uh, Email from Stanley Evans on an appearance by Commander's receiver Terry McLaurin on the Pivot podcast, uh, which has as one of its hosts, former Redskins safety Ryan Clark. uh, Right, Stanley? Watching Terry on the Pivot was awesome. We were able to see the real Terry away from the podium. He seems to be a real genuine guy, outspoken about his faith and about the way that he has grown. What I love most about this team is that it seems that there is no diva in any of the receivers, despite how talented they are. Heck, there doesn't seem to be any diva on this team. The only player who I think was starting to feel himself a little too much was Chase Young, but I thought it was interesting when we heard on Tuesday's show the comments from Montez Sweat about how he has noticed Chase acting more like a pro now. I think that Ron Rivera has done a great job of drafting guys who are low ego and who love football. I think that we have a bunch of young and hungry guys who want to succeed. And Terry said it best when he said that everyone from the ownership on down is headed in the same direction. I think that we definitely have some of our best football ahead. So exciting. Do you believe that there's any diva on this football team who bears watching? Uh, Thank you. For the email, Stanley. Uh, Yes, I do. Cameron Cheeseman, long snappers, notorious divas. His ego, especially, is out of control. Uh, No, just kidding. Uh, I do think that the commanders have a roster that seems to have a lot of good guys. Now, we always have to be careful with this stuff. That's why I said seems, because you never know, okay? We are not privy to everything that happens behind the scenes. But given the information that we do have, uh, yeah, it does appear that Rod Rivera has built a roster of good guys, and uh, hopefully they are good guys who are about to have a good season. Uh, Well, something that is not good is what's happening in the home and auto insurance markets right now. We are routinely seeing 20% increases in home and auto insurance, even 
When the account is clean, meaning no accidents or violations on the auto insurance and no claims on the property insurance. And that's why you should get with BMC Insurance. Check out BMC Insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com. You'll be put in touch with the owner and president, Matt Brooks, a loyal listener of this podcast. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. BMC Insurance, it offers home insurance, auto insurance, and also small business insurance in Maryland, Virginia, Washington, D.C., and North Carolina. BMC Insurance is an independent insurance agency, meaning that it has many, as in dozens of insurance carriers it works with to make sure that clients are always paying competitive rates. Uh, What's especially great about BMC Insurance is that it has relationships with its clients. BMC Insurance is a trusted advisor for your insurance needs. BMC Insurance continues to work with clients after sales. It has team members who actually shop clients' insurance every year when they renew. And BMC Insurance does this proactively so that you don't have to. BMC Insurance will save you time and money. And perhaps most telling, BMC Insurance's client retention rates historically are much higher than industry averages. You see, when people get BMC Insurance, they stay with BMC Insurance. Don't get gouged on your home and auto insurance. Check out BMC Insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com. Talk to my guy, Matt Brooks, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Uh, And BMC Insurance does offer small business insurance. So if you're looking for general liability, workers' comp, or commercial auto insurance, BMC Insurance can help. Visit insurancebmc.com. That's insurancebmc.com. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Well, please consider following this podcast if you're not already doing that. Following the podcast is free. If you have an iPhone, you can follow the podcast simply by tapping the plus sign in the upper right corner on the page listing the recent episodes of this podcast. Uh, We on Wednesday morning had a second consecutive day of a padded practice for the commanders at their 2023 training camp at the team facility in Ashburn, Virginia. We on Wednesday morning had a practice that was open to fans. We on Wednesday morning had a practice that lasted for about two and a half hours. We on Wednesday morning had the new lead owner, the managing partner, Josh Harris, attending practice. We on Wednesday morning had our first scuffle of 2023 commander's training camp. Linebacker Cody Barton and center Nick Gates got into it early in the 11-on-11 period. We also on Wednesday morning had Sadiq Charles not participating in team drills due to a calf injury. Uh, That was according to Commander's Insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post. Uh, Sadiq is in a competition with Chris Paul for the starting left guard job, and Sadiq has had a very hard time staying healthy in his NFL career. Hopefully, this calf injury is not a big deal, but the injury thing has been a big thing with Sadiq Charles ever since the team took him in the fourth round of the 2020 NFL Draft. Head coach Rod Rivera, uh, he on Wednesday morning, rather than do a post-practice press conference, did a pre-practice press conference. He spoke to reporters in the 8 a.m. Eastern hour. We on Wednesday had breakfast with Rod. Uh, and a theme that emerged during his press conference was where we are with the commander's offense. Uh, The team's defense has been ahead of the team's offense so far in training camp. That's not surprising given 
that the team in recent years has been a lot better on defense than the team has been on offense. Uh, The team's defense being ahead of the team's offense so far in camp also isn't surprising given that the defense is entering year four under defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio and the offense is entering year one under assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. This was Ron Rivera on Wednesday morning and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Commander's insider John Keim of ESPN. Well, I think the biggest thing, you know, as far as the defense is concerned, being where they are, it's about taking what you've done the last few years and growing, adding the, 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 the little nuances that you couldn't get initially because you're still learning. I think we're at that point now where, especially in talking with Jack, the different things that they're doing, the um, little nuances to the defense that, that can be solutions for some of the things that, you know, we struggled with last year. Um, offensively, it could be from everything from now getting into formations, you know, that's just probably one of the more important things and, and understanding, you know, motions and shifts as to why we do those things. And then understanding the, the route combinations, you know, um, why am I running this particular route in this particular concept? You know what I'm saying? I mean, th- those are those are all the details that these guys are learning in, in the meetings. Now take that and put it on the field and then retain it. You know what I'm saying? Because there's a lot. Uh, One thing Eric is doing is he is throwing a lot at the guys um, and is forcing them to study. He's forcing them to do the extra things to to, to get up to speed as quickly as he wants them. You know, and and I've said this this before, we're not game planning out here. So you're not sitting there, you're not taking, you know, of the volume of 300, 350 plays and narrowing that scope for the game plan. So these guys have to learn a lot, retain a lot, and then take it and put it on the field. And so that's what you're trying to see. So when you're watching the offense then, because of that situation, is it hard to, you know, do you have to work to be really honest with yourself about is that a trickle-down effect of the learning or of the of a bad play? No, and that's exactly it. You're, you're, you know, because when we sit there, when, and what I've come to do now is, you know, is I'm bouncing in and out of offensive defensive meetings uh, as quickly as I can to catch certain aspects of what's going on. So when I'm out there and I see something happen, I'll write it down. And then when I get back up, there, I look at my notes. It's okay. I got to go in and make sure. Okay, so I go in and trying to hear the explanation as to why and how what happened. So whether it is just you know a good play by the defense and and on offensively we did everything we're supposed to, or hey we didn't do this right. And that's one of the things that when you sit down and you listen to uh, Eric breaking it down with the offensive coaches, it's like hey you know that's on us if we you know we did this and if we'd have kept that seven high. You know, we have a we have a much better throw, a much better alley for the quarterback to throw into. Now you start thinking, oh, okay, so it's understanding the concepts and why I'm supposed to push that high as opposed to flatten it out. So yeah, th- there are those things that you know you you look for as to the explanations as to what's going on out there. Are they learning? Are they learning quickly? Um, and and then go back to it: is did we make that mistake again? Did that same guy run? And and, and I got a great example from yesterday. Um, and then on uh, on on um, on Monday, on Monday we ran a, we were running the seven route and it was flat, and it gave the hinge corner a chance to get there and almost make the play. And Eric went and corrected it right away. Guys, you got to understand this is when you see that open space, push to it. If you got to climb, climb. Well, we ran it. Same play, opposite side, same receiver. This time he pushed it high and it was a big completion. So there was a lot there from Ron Rivera, but what stood out to me as much as anything was 
here you have the defense advanced enough in terms of talent and in terms of time under Jack Del Rio to where the defense is working on the subtle nuances and tweaks to things, uh, whereas the offense is having issues just lining up properly. I mean, Eric Bieniemy on basically a daily basis is screaming at commander's offensive players about how they're lining up or how they're doing huddles. Bieniemy on Wednesday morning shouted, quote, get them in the effing huddle enough with all the effing walking, end quote. Uh, The commander's defense right now is at like a graduate school level of comprehension and comfort. The commander's offense right now, not so much. Now, what does all of this mean for the upcoming regular season? Uh, Who knows? I think that it's way too early to be panicking about the offense. I mean, if you're panicked about the offense because you don't trust the personnel, I hear you. But the up and down nature of the offense so far in training camp, to me, is not reason itself to be panicked. And so, That brings us uh, to the man being positioned to be the commander's QB1 for this upcoming season, Sam Howell. Uh, He, like the offense overall, has had a mixed training camp. Sam is not having some stellar camp, okay? But he also has not had, like, some disastrous camp either. Uh, This was Rod Rivera on Wednesday morning on the balance of, on the one hand, Sam being a second-year NFL quarterback with one career, regular season start, and being a second-year NFL quarterback who, oh, by the way, is learning a new offense. Uh, But on the other hand, the reality of the commanders trying to make the playoffs this coming season. Well, I think it, it, it's, you know, to me, it's is, is right now, this is all the growth and development opportunity. This is a chance to learn the base fundamentals of our offense. And, and he's been doing it since OTAs and minicamp. Now we're in training camp. You know, we're in our, what, our, our eighth day now. So all these things are, are, are coming together. What you really need to look for is when we get on the field. You know, when, when we do game plan, when we do prepare, I know it's just preseason games, but those are going to be uh, paramount to, to, to telling everybody where he is, what's his growth. And at the same time, as, as I've said a couple, don't sleep on, on, on Jacoby. He's done a nice job as well. I mean, we got some really good uh, quarterback uh, play going on right now. We've got a real good quarterback room. We're very happy with what we've got right now. And again, we just want to continue to see the growth. So now when we go into those meetings and I, and I listen to, you know, to, to Eric and I listened to Davida talk about what he's doing, how he's doing it, you know, and listen to Luke and his opinion and Kenny Zampezi. I mean, we got four guys really dedicated to the to the development of the one position. Um, I think that's real, you know, that, that's a good start for us. And I think it's been a good start for him in camp. Yeah, to me, that Sam Howell has been iffy so far at training camp is not reason to worry. The reason to worry would be if he's not looking better, say, two weeks from now. You know, the commanders are going to participate in these joint practices with the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, These joint practices are going to happen at the Ravens Under Armour Performance Center in uh, Owings Mills, Maryland, uh, August 15th and 16th. If Sam Howell at those joint practices looks bad, and he also doesn't look good in whatever preseason work that he gets, uh, yeah, (laughs) then there will be reason for concern. Although even then, you do have to wait until the regular season to have fully formed thoughts about Sam. And even then, you really should wait until there's a decent sample size of regular season games for Sam 
to have fully formed thoughts about them. This whole thing is a process. So many things with an NFL team change from August to December. Deciding on anything in August is nuts. I mean, there are so many things with our team that we're thinking now (laughs) that are going to seem so ridiculous once we get to December. That happens every year. Uh, Also, did you notice that Ron Rivera in that cut that I just played for you, unsolicited, brought up Jacoby Brissett. Quote, and at the same time, as I've said a couple times, don't sleep on Jacoby. He's done a nice job as well. I mean, we got some really good quarterback play going on right now. End quote. Uh, Ron does keep doing this, bringing up Jacoby Brissett when asked about Sam Howell. Now, what I read into that is Ron sticking to this idea of a quarterback competition between Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett. I'm not reading into that, that Ron is leaning toward Jacoby as the QB1 or anything like that. The starting quarterback job is Sam Howell's to lose. He'd have to really practice poorly in training camp and play poorly in the preseason to lose the job. I do not think that Sam right now is practicing poorly enough to lose the job. And I do not think that Jacoby right now is practicing appreciably better than Sam to where Jacoby is like making this charge to overtake Sam as the QB1. Jacoby Brissett is a very good QB2 who can do well as a QB1, but he's a known entity. The upside would seem to be limited. Uh, Sam Howell is young and has upside. One of the biggest goals of this upcoming season for the team is to cultivate that upside and see what exactly is there. And doing those things takes time. The question with Sam isn't where he is now, it's where he is in November and December and January and February. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you get the idea. Uh, Here was Ron Rivera on Wednesday morning on what he has seen from Sam Howell in terms of processing and decision-making so far in training camp. That's one of the things that's been really cool is to watch him when you see him recognize it and process it. Um, part of it, though, is his timing has to get a little bit better uh, when he does see it and get to it. You know, and, and one of the things that I'm always looking for is, is, you know, as he goes through his progressions, you know, where is that ball placement when he gets to his second or third progression? You know, if that ball is slightly ahead right where it needs to be, then you know he's processing on time. When it starts getting to that back shoulder and there's no defender here, then you know he's late. If there's a defender here, it should be on the back shoulder. But when you see it, when there's no no reason for it to be there, then you know he's seeing it, but he's got to process it faster. So we're looking for those kind of hints as we're, we're, we're watching him on tape. So every one of his throws, you know, I sit there and watch it and try to see how long it took for him to get to where he needs to. And it's not just him going through it, but also getting to that point where he gets to his setup. You know, is, is his footwork good? That's, you know, that was one of the things we talked about last year. I know it was one of the points that we always try to make about him was that is his footwork where it needs to be? And one of the things that Tavita talked about is that for the most part, it's been really good until he gets near the end. He does get a little, little tired, uh, a little lazy with it, and he's got to push himself through that. And, you know, it's early in camp. So Ron concluded his answer by noting that Sam Howell's footwork does still have some issues. Uh, And Ron earlier in the answer said that Sam's timing needs to get better. There is a difference between timing and processing. Processing is a quarterback's diagnosis of the defense and where to go with the ball. Timing is uh, the timing of the throw, when to throw. But good processing and good timing lead to something rather important. Yak, yards after catch. 
The commanders for the 2022 regular season for pro football reference were 20th out of 32 NFL teams in yards after catch per completion at 4.9. For comparison's sake, the Kansas City Chiefs, the team for which Eric Bieniemy spent the last five seasons as offensive coordinator, the Chiefs for the 2022 regular season for pro football reference were second in the NFL in yards after catch per completion at 6.56. Commanders, 4.9. Chiefs, 6.56. A difference of 1.66. That may not sound like much, but over the course of a season, that's a lot. The Commanders in the 2022 regular season had 344 pass completions. 1.66 more yak yards per completion would have meant 571 additional yards of offense. Think about that. And so all of this leads us to this reality. Uh, Washington has not had a good offense in a half decade. Uh, Washington's best ranking in total offense per Football Outsiders DVOA metric for a regular season from 2018 through 2022 was number 21 for the 2021 regular season. The team's offense was bad in each of the last two seasons of Jay Gruden as head coach, and the team's offense has been bad in each of Ron Rivera's three seasons as Washington head coach. And so we on Wednesday morning had this exchange between Commander's Insider J.P. Finley of NBC4 and Ron. In your three years here, the offense has held you back. The defense played good ball. How, how do you feel about this offense eight days into camp? Um, I like where we're headed. I really do. I mean, we've seen some really good things. You know, and again, one of the things that we talked about you know, in, 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 in bringing Eric Bannemi here was getting the ball to our, our, our playmakers in space. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but, you know, there's, there's been several balls that have gone quicker to Terry in, 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 in certain areas, to Jahan, to, to Curtis, with the occasional shot going vertical, getting the ball into the tight end's hands, utilizing them even more, expanding their role, and then also not just handing the ball off to the running backs. I mean, yesterday we, we had an extended nine-on-seven period, you know, run period, uh, it went along, uh, went very well, some really good things that we saw, um, but also using them as a, as a receiving weapon. Again, getting the ball in their hands in space, whether it's coming out of the backfield or running a swing route, we've got to get the ball into the playmaker's hands quickly and so we can get the explosives. I liked what we heard from Rod Rivera right there. Uh, that is the way to be thinking. Uh, that is a modern forward way of thinking about offense in the NFL. You know, that was not what we heard back on January 10th, okay? <laughs> uh, January 10th, the day on which we got the love sonnet to a running game-oriented offense. Uh, that love sonnet uh, was sung to us by Ron Rivera and General Manager Martin Mayhew at their joint season-ending press conference. Uh, what we just heard from Ron Rivera uh, was quite uh, the difference from what we were hearing on that day on January 10th. And that was a welcome difference that we just heard. Is Eric Bieniemy bringing to our team a modern offense? Dare I say a good offense? Uh, it is fitting that the enemy's five seasons as Chiefs offensive coordinator 2018 through 2022 coincided precisely with this five-season stretch of bad offense for Washington. Because while Washington's best ranking in total offense per DVOA for a regular season from 2018 through 2022 was number 21 for the 2021 regular season, the Chiefs in each of those five regular seasons finished in the top three 
of the NFL in total offense per DVOA. The last five seasons, Washington's offense has been some car in a junkyard, okay? While the Chiefs' offense has been a Bugatti. Uh, I want the Bugatti. We all want the Bugatti. We deserve the Bugatti. Let's have ourselves a Bugatti. Uh, Rod Rivera, in that cut that I just played for you, mentioned making a concerted effort to get the ball into the hands of playmakers. Absolutely. Uh, As the late, great Mike Leach said when he was Washington State's head coach, offensive balance is not 50% run, 50% pass. Offensive balance is getting the ball in the hands of a variety of playmakers. That should be the focus of an offense. This stuff about you have to run the ball a certain amount of times. Uh, No, you don't. This stuff about, oh, you have to have balance in terms of number of runs versus number of passes. Uh, No, you don't. (laughs) You want to run the ball well when you run the ball, but the pass leads the way, and the general idea is to get the ball in the hands of playmakers. Uh, This is what Mike Leach said. Uh, Take you back to the fall of 2018. I want all the positions to touch it. Nothing balanced. There's nothing balanced about 50% run, 50% pass, because that's 50% stupid. Now, uh, what what uh, what is balanced is when you have five skill positions. If all five of them are contributing to the offensive effort in a somewhat equal fashion, then that's balanced. But this notion that if you hand it to one guy. 50% of the time, and then you throw it to a combination of two guys, the other 50%, that you're really balanced, and you proudly pat yourself on the back uh, uh, and tell yourself that. And people have been doing that for decades. Well, then you're delusional. So, um, uh, yeah, that's how I look at it. Yeah, brilliance right there from Mike Leach, who, by the way, so should have been hired by Maryland as its head coach when his name came up for the job uh, after the firing of Ralph Regan in December 2010. Uh, but the Terrapins ended up hiring Randy Edsel, his head coach, in January 2011. And uh, his tenure as Terps head coach uh, did not go so well. Well, if you have a big event that you're planning and you want that event to go well, know that catering by Uptown can handle your needs. Catering by Uptown is the DMV's number one catering service. Uh, Catering by Uptown is a family business that prides itself on its signature dishes and flawless presentations. And Catering by Uptown goes beyond just food. Catering by Uptown offers personalized consultation and event planning assistance that are outstanding, including venue coordination, custom catering menu selection from over a thousand delicious dish selections, and a day of event coordinator who will make sure that everything runs smoothly. From putting together and executing a menu, to picking linens, to selecting an excellent florist, Catering by Uptown is committed to meeting your needs and exceeding your expectations. Whether you're having a wedding or a corporate event, an intimate gathering or a gala, Catering by Uptown is the way to go. Visit cateringbyuptown.com and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Uh, also, know this, Catering by Uptown is looking for summer help, specifically for the event waitstaff. Uh, no experience is necessary, and you get paid in-house training. Great opportunity if you're looking for work. Visit cateringbyuptown.com. That's cateringbyuptown.com. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all 
Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So how about the Nationals Wednesday afternoon, a feel-good win, and then two significant announcements, and uh, these were not positive announcements. Uh, The Nats on Wednesday afternoon, a 3-2 walk-off win over the Milwaukee Brewers at Nationals Park to win two or three games in the series. I'm proud of the boys. Yeah, Nats manager Davey Martinez, the boys, they won, uh, but then shortly after the game, but long enough after the game to where reporters already had spoken with Davey and Nats players, uh, the team rather sneakily (laughs) announced that it had optioned second baseman Luis Garcia to AAA Rochester and had requested unconditional release waivers on outfielder Corey Dickerson. Uh, Neither move was shocking, but Having those two moves announced at the same time and off a walk-off win and after reporters already had spoken with Davey and Nats players uh, was quite the scenario. Uh, the most notable of the two moves is that optioning of Luis Garcia to AAA Rochester. He really has been struggling lately. Uh, Garcia this season has been the Nats' number one second baseman, but he for this regular season has an OPS of just 655 He had a horrendous month of July. Garcia for the month of July had an OPS of just 551. Now, this is just Garcia's age 23 season. He is young. Uh, The hope has been that he is the Nats second baseman moving forward. Uh, He's a very athletic second baseman. But, you know, Luis Garcia has never been a highly touted prospect. And you do wonder if perhaps the Nats are moving off Garcia as their second baseman of the future. Not that the Nats are going to, like, cut the guy at the end of this season. But, you know, going into next season with Garcia as the guy at second base, full stop, uh, I'm not so sure about that at this point. And, you know, you also have to look at it like this. You send a guy like this down to the minors this deep into the season post the MLB trade deadline, there's a message that you're sending. You know, this is a humbling of Luis Garcia as much as this is a demotion. Uh, Luis Garcia, over parts of four major league regular seasons, 2020 through 2023, 
has not hit well. A 1,170 career major league regular season plate appearances, an OPS of just 679. Uh, And Corey Dickerson, look, he's a Nats free agent signing from this past offseason that just did not work out. Uh, The Nats this past January 10th announced having agreed with Corey Dickerson on a one-year contract, what was a one-year $2.25 million deal. Uh, This is his age 34 season, but he, for this regular season, has an OPS of just 637. The more younger players who the Nats play down the stretch of this season, the better. But uh, obviously, one of those younger players, Luis Garcia, just got demoted to AAA Rochester. Uh, But yeah, the Nats on Wednesday afternoon did win uh, a 3-2 walk-off win over the Brewers. Uh, You know, the Nats have gone from rarely winning at Nationals Park to now doing quite well at Nationals Park. The Nats now have won nine of their last 11 home games, this off having been just 13 and 32 at home in this regular season, uh, in which the Nats now are 46 and 63 overall. The Nats on Wednesday afternoon overcame a 2-1 ninth inning deficit with a two-run bottom of the ninth Uh, in which, yes, the Brewers were very much what you would call co-conspirators. The Nats in this inning scored two runs on a single, a walk, and two Brewers errors. Uh, The game ended on an Alex Call bases-loaded fielder's choice grounder to third baseman Andrew Monasterio, who in throwing home committed a throwing error, allowing... Corey Dickerson uh, and pinch runner Ildemar Vargas to score. Uh, Dickerson had reached base via a fielding error by first baseman Carlos Santana and also in the inning was a Dominic Smith opposite field check swing single to left field on a 1-2 pitch and a Cape at Ruiz a pinch walk to load the bases with no outs. Uh, this two-run ninth for the Nats, a classic 2023 scrappy Nats inning. Uh, look, this was another bad game for the Nats offense overall. You don't call good offenses scrappy, okay? You call offenses that aren't that good, that don't hit many home runs scrappy, and that's what the Nats are. They don't hit many home runs. They do do some other things well, but uh, hitting for power, uh, not what the 2023 Nats do. The Nats in this game scored just three runs, totaled just five hits, which were a double and four singles. The Nats did draw four walks, a two by Dominic Smith. He is a Nats starting first baseman and number five batter, went one for two with a single and two walks. So the Nats' other run came in the bottom of the third. Alex Call, a leadoff double down the left field line on an 0-2 pitch, a call on Wednesday afternoon as the Nats' starting center fielder and number seven batter went one for four with the double. And then the Nats' new number one third baseman, Jake Alou. Uh, He and the Nats' one-run third had a first pitch RBI single up the middle, to tie the game at one. Uh, Alou as the Nats starting third baseman and number eight batter, one for three with the RBI single. The Nats on Tuesday afternoon recalled Jake Alou from AAA Rochester. He has an RBI single in each of his first two games uh, in this return to the majors. But, you know, the number one reason that the Nats won this game on Wednesday afternoon was their pitching, especially their starting pitcher. Mackenzie Gore was really good. Gore, in this 3-2 walk-off win over the Brewers, allowed two runs in six innings. He gave up just three hits, a home run, a double, and a single. He issued two walks and a wild pitch. An issue for Gore lately had been putting a lot of guys on base. That was not an issue in this game. He recorded five strikeouts. He threw 89 pitches, 55 strikes versus 34 balls. Uh, Mackenzie Gore had been up and down lately. He and his previous start, the 5-1 loss at the New York Mets this past Friday night, allowed three runs in five innings. He put a lot of guys on base in that game. He over the five innings, gave up five hits, issued four walks through 95 pitches, recorded 
just two strikeouts, but Gore on Wednesday afternoon was a lot better. Uh, Gore in the top of the second, allowed a run on a two-out solo homer by Tyrone Taylor to left field for a one nothing Brewers lead. And Gore in the top of the six allowed a run, but how he ended that top of the six was great. So Gore issued a leadoff walk of the Brewers' number eight batter, Bryce Terang, uh, who then advanced to second base on a wild pitch. Gore gave up an infield single by Joey Weimer on a well-hit grounder to shortstop C.J. Abrams deep in the hole. Gore gave up an opposite field RBI double by Kristen Yelich in the left field foul tier for a 2-1 Brewers lead. But Mackenzie Gore then generated three consecutive swinging strikeouts of the Brewers' numbers two through four batters. William Contreras, Carlos Santana, and Willie Adamas. A really strong finish by Gore uh, to that inning for him uh, and to this outing. Uh, this was Davey Martinez during his postgame press conference on Wednesday afternoon on Mackenzie Gore. Really good. He's really good. I mean, uh, that, that sixth inning, man, he he just aired it out, and um, uh, that was that was a big moment of the game. Kept us in the game. You got a lot of you got a lot of strikeouts that inning. Before that, he was kind of pitching to contact, but he more is, is that what you like to see for him to keep his pitch count down to take pitch to a bit more contact than that strikeout as many guys. Yeah, no, that was that was awesome. I mean, he was he was cruising. You know, I looked up at one point he had. Um, in the fourth inning, he had 45 pitches, so you know, or 47 pitches, and I thought that this is exactly what we're talking about with him. You know, limit limit the walks, um, you know, throw strikes, get ahead early. Um, he did that today. You know, I think he had one one raw walk that started the that inning, uh, the leadoff batter. So um, yeah, he was frustrated about that, but I told him, hey, all, all in all, you did a great job today. He gives up the go-ahead run on like a you know, jam shot. You know how frustrated you can get at times, yeah. but how did you like the way he responded to that? Lo- loved it, and that's that's what we're talking about. These high leverage situations like that, you gotta limit the damage. I mean, you really do, and he did that today. What is it like to have a guy like that? I mean, just who can strike out three guys in a row that way and uses different pitches? What is it like to have a guy like that? It's a game changer. It's a game changer. I mean, you know, that's what you, it, that's kind of what you're looking for. That's what you want. Um, we've seen him do. We've seen Josiah come through big, big, big moments like that. Even Irvin. Um, man, that's that's what you're looking for. These these young pitchers is that they, they are able to compete. They get they get themselves uh, back into back into the game that way. So uh, uh, it was it was awesome to see him do that today. Yes, it was. Uh, Mackenzie Gore now for this regular season, 22 starts, an ERA of 4.34, a whip of 142, which actually is the lowest whip among all of the current members of the Nats rotation and the strikeouts per nine innings of 10.37. You know, Wednesday was August 2nd, one year to the day of the Nats acquiring Gore uh, in the mega trade of outfielder Juan Soto and first baseman Josh Bell to the San Diego Padres. And Gore commemorated that anniversary in a nice way. The Padres took Gore out of a high school in North Carolina with the number three overall pick in the 2017 MLB draft. This guy was drafted to be an ace, and hopefully he's on his way uh, to being an ace for the Nats. Uh, And then credit to the Nats bullpen for its work in this 3-2 walk-off win over the Brewers. Uh, Three Nats relievers combined for three scoreless innings. Jordan Weems tossed one and a third scoreless innings. Jose A. Ferrer threw two pitches and got two outs. So he came into the game in the top of the eighth with a runner on first one out and the Nats down 2-1. And he on his second pitch induced a 3-6-3 double play off the bat of Kristen Yelich. And then Kyle Finnegan, a perfect top of the ninth. Uh, no game for the Nats on Thursday. What is their first scheduled off day since July 20th? Next up for the Nats, a three-game series at 
the National League Central leading Cincinnati Reds. Game one, Friday evening at 6.40, Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two, Saturday afternoon at 4.10, the Nats starting pitcher officially is to be determined. Uh, that would be Trevor Williams' turn in the rotation. Uh, he technically still is on the bereavement list. The Nats this past Monday afternoon put Williams on the bereavement list. And then game three at the Reds Sunday afternoon at 1.40, Jake Irvin will be the Nats starting pitcher. There has not been much losing for the Orioles lately, but they did lose on Wednesday night, a 4-1 loss at the Toronto Blue Jays in Game 3 of a four-game series. You know, the O's came into this game having won 17 of their previous 23 games. If you are an Orioles fan, you have been spoiled lately. Hey, they're not going to win every game, okay? Uh, the good news is that also losing on Wednesday night were the Tampa Bay Rays, a 7-2 loss at the New York Yankees, so the O's now are 6 56 and 42, still with a one and a half game lead on the Rays for the best record in the American League uh, and for first place in the American League East. Although uh, the O's now are six and a half games ahead of the Blue Jays, who are third in the American League East. The O's in their 13-3 win at the Blue Jays on Tuesday night were outstanding offensively. The O's in this 4-1 loss at the Blue Jays on Wednesday night, uh, not good offensively. Uh, the O's scored just one run, totaled just seven hits, worked just two walks, went just one for six with runners in scoring position. The seven hits were comprised of a double and six singles. So the Blue Jays starting pitcher was Yusei Kikuchi. He's having a good season. He was good in this game on Wednesday night. One run in six innings. Uh, four of the Orioles' seven hits and both of the team's walks in this game came from just two players. So the top two batters in the Orioles lineup, in fact, talking about Adley Rutschman and Ryan Mountcastle. Uh, Adley Rutschman as the Orioles starting catcher and number one batter went two for four with an RBI single and another single. Rutschman in an Orioles one-run fifth, a two-out opposite field RBI single. On a funny play, the RBI single came on a grounder to second baseman Whit Merrifield in shallow right field to tie the game at one as there was no Blue Jays player covering first base. So Adley Rutschman had himself an RBI single. And Ryan Mountcastle, the man who destroys Blue Jays pitching, he in this game got on base four times. <laughs> he has the Orioles starting first baseman and number two batter went at two for two with two singles and two walks. Man, does Ryan Mountcastle own Blue Jays pitching. Another positive for the O's in this 4-1 loss at the Blue Jays on Wednesday night was starting pitcher Grayson Rodriguez. He was good for a third consecutive start. He now has been good in three or four starts since being called back up to the majors. Uh, this is actually really encouraging. Uh, now, Rodriguez on Wednesday night did officially allow three runs in five and two-thirds innings, but two of the runs charged to Rodriguez came with reliever Shintaro Fujinami pitching in what ended up being a Blue Jays three-run six, during which Rodriguez issued back-to-back two-out walks. But Rodriguez, for the game, gave up just two hits, a double and a single. Uh, he issued just the two walks, uh, did issue a wild pitch, but he recorded six strikeouts. He threw a lot of strikes, 96 pitches, 63 strikes versus 33 balls. And Grayrod was throwing fire. Uh, he, for StatCast, had an average four-seam fastball velocity of 98.5 miles per hour. This was O's manager, Brandon Hyde, during his postgame session with reporters on Wednesday night on Grayson Rodriguez. 
Yeah, Grayson, uh, I thought without his best stuff, honestly, and, and uh, not his best command, he only gave up a couple hits. Uh, yeah, you know, unfortunately, there in the sixth, there were two two out walks. Burrow put a really good AB against them. Um, but making big strides and happy with where he's at. Where have you seen from him kind of across these four starts? Well, much improved over from earlier in the year and, and did a great job of going down and, and uh, working on the things we asked him to. And But much better command. I, just th- I, didn't, I didn't think that he was as sharp tonight. Um, got away with some fastballs that kind of ran back in the middle, but but uh, he's got such good stuff that that uh, it lasted for a while and pitched very, very well. So Grayson Rodriguez on Wednesday night was good, but the aforementioned Shintaro Fujinami was bad. Uh, he officially allowed an unearned run in a third of an inning. He, in what ended up being a three-run six for the Blue Jays, faced five batters and got just one out. Fujinami came into the game in the bottom of the six with runners on first and second, two outs, and the game tied at one. He, to the first batter he faced, issued a two-out four-pitch walk of George Springer to load the bases. And then Fujinami issued back-to-back, two-out bases loaded, hit-by-pitches. The first of Matt Chapman, the second of Danny Jansen, and those two, two out, bases loaded, hit by pitches, put the O's down 3-1. And then we had a two out, bases loaded, fielding error by shortstop Jorge Mateo, who butchered a routine grounder off the bat of Dalton Varsho for a 4-1 Blue Jays lead. Uh, bad outing for Fujinami, who has had very mixed results uh, since the O's acquired him via trade with the Oakland A's on July 19th. Uh, this was Brandon Hyde during his postgame session with reporters on Wednesday night on Shintaro Fujinami. Boy, he just didn't have his command. I mean, um, you know, fortunately, you know, did all, you know, walk and then a couple hit by pitches and then we boot one and uh, just didn't have his command tonight. Instead of his outings, it has taken him seemingly a little while to settle in. Does that affect how you use him to play him going forward? Well, I mean, we're, we we really need him. So, uh, you know, he's he's done his last few times out. He was really, really good, and hopefully he can get back to that. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, well, another Orioles reliever who used to pitch for the A's, Cole Irvin, uh, he on Wednesday night did toss two scoreless innings with two strikeouts. Uh, also, regarding the O's, their ace reliever, Felix Batista, He on Wednesday was named American League Reliever of the Month. Forget this. The third time this season. We have only had four months in the season. Felix Batista has won three of the four American League Reliever of the Month awards for this season. Felix Batista entered Wednesday fourth among all American League pitchers in wins above replacement war for baseball reference for this regular season, 3.1. He is a reliever, and yet he is fourth among all American League pitchers in B-War. That's hard to do, uh, and yet Felix Batista is doing just that. And Batista entered Wednesday number one among American League pitchers in win probability added for baseball reference for this regular season, 4.1. Felix Batista is a legitimate candidate to the American League Cy Young Award, but 
You know, as we've talked about, the Orioles bullpen can't just be Felix Batista and everyone else. I mean, other Orioles relievers need to emerge here uh, and need to stay good because we have had the emergence of Yanir Cano, but he really has struggled lately. The O's on Wednesday afternoon did option uh, a reliever to Triple A Norfolk, Brian Baker. You know, Baker has been used a lot this season, but he now has been optioned in Norfolk. Uh, he was optioned in Norfolk as the corresponding roster move to the activation of starting pitcher Jack Flaherty. And that brings us to game four for the O's at the Blue Jays. Thursday afternoon at 3.07, the Orioles starting pitcher will be Jack Flaherty. He will be making his Orioles debut. The O's acquired Flaherty via trade with the St. Louis Cardinals on Tuesday evening, shortly before the 2023 MLB trade deadline at 6 p.m. Eastern. And the Blue Jays starting pitcher on Thursday afternoon will be former Oriole Kevin Gaussman. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 626. We'll provide you with more on the commanders. Uh, also, I'll talk Orioles. The O's on Thursday afternoon at 3.07 of game four of a four-game series at the Toronto Blue Jays. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. It's a write-off for them. How is it a write-off? They just write it off. (laughs) Write it off what? Jerry, all these big companies, they write off everything. You don't even know what a write-off is. (laughs) Do you? No, I don't. But they do. And they're the ones writing it off. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.